Welcome to the Gathering Network Covenant Partner Podcast, a conversation designed to help covenant partners live Jesus-shaped lives. Well, hello, covenant partners. I am here with Ben Myers. How's it going? The one and only Ben Myers. Man, it is good to be with you today. Dude, you too, man. What is the best, most inspiring thing that's happened in the Myers household recently? You know, the thing that's going to change like every every covenant partner's life right now. <laughs> no pressure about it. No, I don't, I don't feel any pressure. I'm scared. I don't know. I think I just love to see like my little kiddos growing up and starting to think differently, mm-hmm. you know, and the way their little minds kind of just develop and mature and mm-hmm. some of the silly questions that they start to ask, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. I think I, I just love seeing that kind of stuff. Yeah. Pretty excited to see our kids grow up uh, together in Jesus. To me, that feels like one of the greatest assets of this thing that we're in, you know, yeah, seeing all these sure. kids, you know, I mean, there's, there's only a billion kids at the gathering network these days <laughs> and more to come. That's right. That's right. And, uh, I don't know. One of the most amazing and inspiring things is that they're all going to get to grow up in the Lord together, you know? Yeah. And I feel that way too about, uh, a lot of the young, uh, demographic of the gathering network, that 20 to 25 year old demographic. I don't know. I've just been thinking more about them lately. I'm super inspired, you know, by the, the Asia Mundies and the Olivia Baxters and, sure. you know, the Nate Wards and all those guys that are out there that are just, man, they're just killing it. And I, I just love them so much. And it just makes me think about LTP. Like all three of those were in our LTP class last year, which was a tremendous year, man. Wasn't that yeah. an incredible year last year? It was, man. It was just awesome. I was just thinking about that as I was watching the LTP video on Sunday night. It just took me back, man, just how grateful that I was for that summer. And man, it was just a good one. And we're looking forward to this summer. Tell us about it. Yeah, man. We're we're super excited about this summer. We're taking applications. We're planning things out, getting things all prepped and ready. Um, our hearts are ready and we are in it. And Count down the days. Yeah. Okay. So if you could ask our covenant partner base to help you help people get to LTP this summer, because we all know, I think, you know, we all know that it's super worth it. I mean, yeah. when we look at the list of covenant partners, it's like a vast majority of them have been through LTP themselves. I mean, this is an incredible deal. It's a game changer summer for, for some young people. And so if you could ask our covenant partner base just to do one thing, you know, one thing like, hey, you could do this one thing to help LTP really succeed this year. What would it be? Yeah, man. I think it would be just uh, think about the people that they know that are in the next generation, the 18 to 23-year-olds, and send them to leadershiptrainingproject.org to fill out an application. Yeah. That way it's just like, man, just step one on a journey to get there, and it'll be like the beginning of just a transforming, transformative summer for them. Yeah. You know? Yeah, it really will be. Well, man, I'm excited about this episode of the Covenant Partner Podcast. I interviewed Marcus Warner, who was in town just a couple of weeks ago. And I know he was at Forum, right? Yeah, man. How, how was that? Oh, uh, it was phenomenal. I mean, it was just one of those things that we'll look back and refer to over and over again. What do you um, think? What do you think was the deal? Like, because I, I heard about that night that he was with you guys, and I heard that it 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 really seemed to resonate with, yeah. I mean, a lot of people that were there. What do, you, what do you think it was? Like, what was the, what's he carrying that really seems to resonate with us right now? I think it was two things. One, it was just identifying just places where we don't feel like we're like our best self in his language, you know, mm-hmm. and where we're not maybe feeling whole and healthy and, and then actually giving us some pathway out of that, some really simple and manageable things to say, 
here's what we can do next. Here's where we're going. Talking about right brain, left brain stuff. Mm-hmm. Man, it's just, even that vocabulary is just a game changer for us. Yeah, yeah. And that's kind of what this episode is all about. You know, it's really all about, it's really an intro to brain science. So just to clarify, the brain is made up of essentially two sides. The right side is the relational side, right? So when I'm sitting here with you and I'm feeling this friendship that we share and I'm connected with you, that's my right side working as it's supposed to work, right? You got it. Now, left side of my brain is the part of my brain that gets pretty analytical and solves problems. Yep. So when you do something that sets me off a little bit, well, I move from my right side where I feel connected and safe to my left side that is like, how am I going to navigate this problem with Ben? If we were going to boil this episode down to two things, it'd be the right side and the left side of our brain and how much joy is a component to help us really stay in the right side of our brain. So this is going to be a phenomenal episode, man. It actually turned into maybe a two or three parter because this interview with him was an hour and a half long and I, we just kept talking. Yeah. We just kept talking and we just <laughs> it couldn't was easy stop. Too. <laughs> just so easy too. And he's just a great guy and he gave us so much when he was here and we're looking forward to him coming back maybe even another time this year. But this is our interview with Marcus Warner and we're really hoping that uh, it, it helps Covenant Partners today live their best self. Well... It's it's uh great to be with you. Yeah, it's good to be here. Yeah, it's really really cool to be with you. I've I've been really just moved and encouraged by your work and it, very rarely do we experience a book or a resource that just begins to change the environment that you're in mm. nearly immediately. And your book Rare Leadership has done that and uh, it just, yeah, thanks. Yeah, that's awesome to hear. <laughs> it is. All right, well, tell me tell me about brain science. I'm not mm-hmm. sure that all of the people that will be listening to this are really up to speed on how uh, advanced this science has become. Sure. And the derivatives, like the things that we're really being able to draw from, you know, brain science that really help make sense of life, really. It's just the difference between right brain and left brain. One of the things they found out is that there is sort of like an on-off switch on the right brain. Mm-hmm. And so what happens is when that switch is on, my relational brain circuits are on and functioning. I can be relationally engaged with you. When those, uh, when those circuits shut down, I stop being relational. When I stop being relational, I'm no longer curious about you. I don't really appreciate anything about you. I kind of just want you to go away. But what happens is then is the left side of the brain... If, if the right side is identity and where, our, where we experience joy, and uh, because joy is a right brain experience, it is always relational because it's happening on the relational right side of my brain, which is so my identity center. I tell people, if you want to know who you really are, mm. you are... Uh, your true self is the person you are when you're functioning with joy. And when we're talking about joy, like through all of the stuff that I've read from Dr. Wilder and you, we're not talking about like a sense of like ecstasy or like euphoria, happiness. We're really talking about a deep, I mean, maybe that's included, but as I understand it, is it this just kind of sense of well-being on the inside? Explain what joy is. Yeah. Well, I think what you just described is what I would call peace. Okay. 
uh, peace is that kind of settled sense of well-being on the inside. We mm-hmm. call it shalom, right? That's that sense yeah. that everything is right with the world, and that even if everything is out of in chaos in my life, I can still have a sense of peace because I know God's, you know, there and in control, and and it's you know it's okay right where it is. Whereas joy is like the sparkle you get in your eye when you see somebody that you like and you're like, oh, it's you. That's joy. Best understood as a right brain experience that is happening when I sync with somebody else and I'm happy to be with them. On the left brain is the analytical problem solving conscious thought part of our brain. And it operates after our right brain is engaged, it begins to operate and it operates slightly slower than our right brain. And so what happens with the analytical left brain side is that um, it's all about problems and problem solving. So when my joy goes away, everything becomes a problem to be solved. Hmm. Say more about that. Like, like what, 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 give us a, a street level example of what that might be like. So, you know, in my uh, marriage, right, mm-hmm. the, uh, there are times when um, I've found that I have trouble with criticism uh, will create shame, and shame will make me shut down. And when that happens, my right brain shuts down. I go over to my left brain. And now instead of my wife being a person to relate to and have joy with, my prob- my wife becomes a problem to be solved. Right, yeah. Okay, and so as soon as that happens, I treat her, I turn into a different person. Mm-hmm. And I treat her differently than I would. I lose all curiosity about how she's thinking and feeling. I lose my sense of appreciation for her being there. And I kind of just want her to go away Mm -hmm. or I want to disappear. And I lose my relational engagement. And in that process, I, I turn into a different person. I don't act like myself. I will say one other thing about joy is that the most common misconception I run into is that joy is just feeling good. And so everybody's excited about this. So tell me the strategy of how when I feel bad, I can feel good quickly. And that's not actually what we're talking about when we talk about joy. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not that you never feel shame or you never get angry or you're never scared or you're never depressed, but you don't turn into a different person when those things happen. Mm-hmm. You're able to stay relational and act like yourself. Mm-hmm. And so when we talk about returning to joy, it's not just a matter of managing our emotions so that we feel better. But it's like, if you do something that makes me upset with you, do I have the capacity to stay relational with you and act like myself when I'm upset with you? Yeah. Or do you, you know, whatever it is that makes me upset with you cause me to shut down and say, hey, that's it. Our relationship is over. I've got to go disappear for a while. And I just hope you do the same. Right. And so that's that's a very non-relational, very immature way of handling our, our, our upsetness. Right. So when we talk about returning to joy, one of the things that sometimes people mistake that for is they think that I'm talking about how do I feel better quickly. I I wasn't my best self this morning. I literally had to apologize to my wife on the way here because things got stressful trying to get the kids out the door to school. She yelled something up the steps. I yelled something back down. <laughs> she got back home. I was like, babe, I'm sorry. Oh, yeah. And it was like, I'm going to interview Marcus Warner today. <laughs> Fortunately, I'm way past that. That never happens to me anymore. So I know. <laughs> it was it was one of those no, moments. I where I was like, oh my gosh, man, I just completely lost my best self. So talk to me about the best self. Well, being my best self basically means that I, um, for example, when uh, your wife yells up something and you yell back, what tends to happen is instead of attuning into to her, like I, I'm curious about what's causing her to feel this way. 
what's going on, validating her emotion, you know, and okay. uh, connect and, and tune and attuning. We spend a lot of time apologizing. Okay. Right. <laughs> right? right. I do, spend, man. Yeah, I and, really do. Yeah, I do too. It's like you spend a lot of time saying, I'm sorry, I did not handle that well. I should have handled that this way. And I can see why your feelings got hurt. And, uh, you know, what can we do to make our relationship bigger than the problem? Yeah. So that's a phrase that my wife and I have started using quite a bit. And that is, how can we make the relationship bigger than the problem? Right here, I'm thinking of the movie Inside Out. Yeah, right. And the young, and I'm, I'm you know, spoiler alert on this, I guess. <laughs> but this movie is about a young lady who, you know, she... She enters into life, and her life experience is basically joy. Moves with her family, and as she's in her new classroom and explaining to this new classroom where she's been from, she experiences sadness, and her world begins to shut down a little bit. This is kind of what you're talking about, right? It's a lot of what I'm talking about. One of the things they found is uh, Alan Shore, for all of his genius and brilliance, when he was looking for a word to say, this is what your brain, the fuel your brain runs on, Mm -hmm. The best word he could come up with was joy. Okay. And so brain the reason that they wrote the Inside Out movie, right, was coming out of the brain science research that says, oh. hey, we have discovered that the brain needs joy to run, and right. it can't function without joy. And so you kind of see this in her life where she can't function as well when joy isn't there. Now, she needs all of the other emotions, but joy is the you know, is the driver. Yeah. And so what we find, uh, one of the brain science things that has been discovered is that joy is the key to mental emotional health. And it is the key to overcoming addiction. It's the key to forming healthy attachments. It's the key to emotional capacity. It's the key to all kinds of things. Which, if you're a Christian, you know, and you start reading your Bible and say, hmm, where is joy in the Bible? <laughs> <laughs> it's everywhere, yeah. Yeah, all of a sudden yeah. you begin saying, hey, maybe we're onto something yeah. here. Maybe science and Christianity can talk about this a yeah. little bit because, you know, joy is one of those things we're supposed to be good at. You guys talk a lot about the big negative emotions, the big six sure. negative emotions. Yeah, I use sad, sad. I use sad, sad to, to uh, help me remember what the big six negative emotions are. So uh-huh. you can think of it like an acrostic, sad, sad. So it's shame, anger, disgust, sadness, anxiety, despair. Now, anxiety technically should be fear, but it, it would be sad, sad, and it doesn't work <laughs> quite as well. So uh, <laughs> I, I, I fudged a little bit to yeah, fear yeah, and anxiety, yeah. but... The uh, And then there's one other, and the other one is attachment pain. Mm. And that's the seventh thing. And attachment pain is when um, the attachment center of my brain lights up because I want to be with somebody. And right now I'm craving joy. And I just feel like being with somebody who's happy to be with me. So attachment pain is, is huge and because it's also related to addiction. Because what happens when my attachment light comes on and I feel like bonding with somebody uh, and there's nobody there, I will go and I will bond to... Uh, food or a drug or alcohol or some, or sex, but something that's predictable uh, that I know how it's going to make me feel. It's going to numb the attachment pain and it's going to, uh, you know, give me something that feels like joy, even though it's not. So the big six, the big six, the big six, those are like alarms that go off. Yes. Right. And so it's driving down the road. Somebody cuts you off. Boom. boom anger. Right. You know, or. I get triggered. They come out because I'm triggered. So the analogy I use is I got a powder keg down inside. I got buttons that are connected to the powder keg. And as long as nobody pushes my buttons, I'm fine. 
Right, but that's not life, yeah. right? So when life pushes so when the button like, and the powder keg goes off, right, we're not our best self. We're not our best self. And so what keeps us from being our best self is when I, I am my shame self or I am my fear self or I am my angry self. And sometimes that happens so often that we begin to define ourselves by it. Right. Right. I'm just an angry person. Yeah. I'm just a depressed person. It's just the way I am. You better just get used to it. And actually, that's me malfunctioning. Mm-hmm. That's not me being my best self. That is saying that I haven't learned how to stay relational. And we act call like those myself. agreements. Okay, agreements. We call yes. those agreements. Like we make an agreement with something that's actually not what the kingdom of God would have for you. You know, you make a. I think you use the word vow. Mm-hmm. You know, you make a, a vow. I will always be this way. Yeah. You know. Exactly. Yeah. 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 And agreements have very powerful spiritual warfare implications. Mm-hmm. Because yeah. essentially we're shaking hands with the devil and saying you're right and God's wrong. Yeah, right. And right. When, when we do that, we give him permission to a greater role in our lives. Yeah. So when the when the powder keg is going off, they have enough going on inside, enough right. health that they can remain. Yeah, so there's two things there. <laughs> One is, is having the emotional capacity to not, to uh, be able to, stay yourself through the triggering mm-hmm. and the other one is to be actively working on the issues that caused the triggering in the first place in other words why does shame trigger you so much great question okay so the reason shame triggers you so much generally goes back to childhood experiences and things like that where nobody was happy to be with you when you felt shame mm-hmm. and so this is where emmanuel prayer and some of the other things that uh, we teach in the emotional healing part of 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 the training uh, help people go back to core memories that uh, that are at the heart and at the root of a lot of these these things. Because ultimately, what we want to do is is not just avoid having our buttons pushed, but but we want to do two things: grow the capacity to act like ourselves anyway. And one of the ways we grow capacity is by getting more joy. And the other way that we grow capacity is by decreasing the amount of trigger. Right. So by yeah. by healing those things, I get less triggered, and so I have more capacity. Mm-hmm. And by growing more joyful relationships in my life, I grow capacity. So I want to be working at both ends of the of the scale, so to speak. And that is, I want to be growing joy, joyful relationships on the top end of the scale, and I want to be uh, demining the, uh, the, the number of landmines down below uh, from my past by working on emotional healing issues. Both of those things together help to give me more emotional capacity so that I can act like myself yeah, even right. when I get triggered. Okay, man. So that that was amazing. Seriously. Tell me how this whole right brain, left brain thing has even affected your home. Yeah, so even my interactions with Carrie, man, it's like when I come home, she's had a rough day. And instead of me just plugging in to solve the problem, you know, I can recognize the fact that I need to really stay connected, turn those relational circuits on, recognize where she's at, remain relational, and not let the problem 
become bigger than the person. Yeah, you know? the problem bigger than the person. That was that was huge, man. This whole thing has just reminded me like how much value there is in just laying next to my kids at night as I'm putting them in bed. You know, just yeah. crawling in bed with them, looking them in the eye, reminding them that they're the good guys. You know, that's right. And putting a hand on them and just speaking words of destiny over their future, no matter what kind of day we've had. You know, yeah, man, it's good. Yeah, and I just want to remember and continue to fight for this fact that I am a relational leader, and you are a relational leader. And if we could just remind our covenant partners today that this whole thing, right, the covenant partner community at the Gathering Network, is about that, really about being in relationship with one another. And so, for all you guys who are in missional communities, all you guys who are leading people and discipling people, let's just take the challenge today to remember that problems aren't bigger than the people. God right. always sees us by our identity and not our behavior. He loves to talk to us about our behavior, but He's seen us and believing in who we are at our core identity, and He's not making the problems bigger than our personhood today. So, man, that's good. It is good, man. All right, it's man. Rich. All right, bro. Well, I love my relationship with you. Love you too, man. Everybody that's listening, we're for you. We love you guys. And we are with you, so keep going strong and... Uh, Yeah, we'll come back with part two of this episode next time. All right. right.